If you want to have a business where you're the rock star and you're just getting people in, you're making lots of money and you're not attached to the results, then this isn't the podcast for you. (laughs) I'll just put it that way. You're listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who want to escape the day-to-day grind while scaling their business to seven figures and beyond. And now, your hosts, Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. We're here. We're recording. That must Yahoo! that must mean that it's time for another episode of the Visionary CEO Podcast. Don't you agree, Jill? I would say so. All that right. makes sense. <laughs> I'm Brianne Dick. She's Jill Giovanazzo. And I feel like we should just jump right in to today's episode because it's a really good one. Yeah, this one's going to be fun. Because, you know, last week we were talking about taking control of your inbox and how to make sure that you have the time to be able to spend on the things you want. But that's not the only place where people find their time getting sucked away in massive strides, especially when you're trying to build a business that is high touch, gives a personal attention to all of the people, right? Like there there are so many other time leaks that are possible. It's external, it's internal, it's psychological, it's <laughs> It crosses the gambit. Like, yeah, really, it does. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting is I, I saw a post on social media. It was a post exactly about this idea of dealing with time. And what the post was, I'm just going to paraphrase, is that there's this idea that if you want to go high touch, you need to give more access to the coach, the teacher, you. the trainer, the quote unquote guru, which that's a problematic term (laughs) in and of itself. In and of itself, yeah. And it's a conversation. I I remember this post and it jumped out at me because the person was like, I have given so much of my time and my life and my energy to coaching. And I've given so much of myself for like 10 or 15 years. I can't continue to give more of myself. I, I like this whole idea of, you know, you need to have these tiered models where it's, you have the VIP package at the top and, and the person posting was saying that this, I'm just, I'm burned out on doing that. I want to have a model that's like less access to me, but I, I don't know how to do that because less access often means less Results. Well, and not just less results. The other, the kind of underlying corollary myth, corollary, am I pronouncing that right? I always have a hard time with that one. Yeah. Uh, The the underlying corollary myth is that if there's less of me or if there's less one on one time in general, then it's worth less and I'm going to get less revenue coming in. Yeah. Which is the other piece that supports that whole mythos around this idea of access. Yeah. And And people use that in their marketing. It's, oh, yeah. Oh, you get to work with me and therefore it's a $50,000 experience. Ooh, you get this luxury access and Mm. luxury results. It's all tied up into this, like, we need high touch and I need to be personally invested in it. And yeah, it's, it is this whole like cultural mythos that has arisen. Yeah. The whole VIP piece, like you see it all the time on uh, Facebook with that kind of social urgency with regards to, you know, I can only work personally with three more people in this next 
year, sometimes even further than year. Yeah. Get in now if you want to be one of those people. Right. Or like, it's that, it's the red, it's the, the red rope. Yeah. And there's good reasons to have the red velvet rope policy, I think is what Michael Port called it way back in the day mm-hmm. with Book Yourself Solid. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah, there's a good reason to have that. You don't want to work with everyone. You want to work with people you can get results for. But yeah, this, this idea that there's an incompatibility between scaling with less access and still getting results. And yeah, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, it's to me, it's almost like, and I I did this motion note, you you listening to the podcast can't see it, but my hand's swinging to the side. It's almost like we took that concept of that red velvet rope and swung it too far. The pendulums hit the extreme of going beyond where that really needs to take us. Because you're right, you you don't want to bring in everyone. Mm -hmm. We can't help everyone. We're not set up to help everyone. And we're not always the best fit for everyone, never mind their circumstances, even if they're in the right circumstances. Personality-wise, it might not be the right fit. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting about this for me is that it's the people who care most who are most likely to get caught into this trap. And I'm thinking of Claire Berry, who has a coaching practice, Urban Curiosity, and she was working with clients for years one-on-one, but she was at the point where it was like, chronic pain was an issue. She was having grief, stuff coming up in her own personal life. And it's like, if my only option is to give more access, then where does that actually leave me? Leave me. I love one-to-one coaching work. I find it incredibly rewarding, but it's also intense at times. And for me, it became a bit of a no-brainer that I needed to move to this one-to-many model because I wanted to have a business in five years' time. I wanted to have a more sustainable and self-compassionate way of working. And I'm also a human being that has anxiety. I have episodes of depression and low energy. And I needed to have that be reflected in the way I was working. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fascinating for me that given that she's a coach that's specializing in this mindfulness kind of practice. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting to hear how she needed to actually take that step back to ensure she could build a business Mm -hmm. that would allow her to live mindfully for herself. And this is something I see quite frequently with many people coming in, like not even just the values align piece, but just this idea of coming in and being able to live the life they want to and having to like, that's that balance Mm -hmm. that we were just talking about. Yeah. And so what Claire said there is that the solution seems to be that you need to go to one to many, right? And make more money. And then this is where that idea of the ladder comes in. Okay. Stretching your funnel out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put in a really accessible like tripwire and then a course and then a this and then a that. And then at the very top, we can have this big high ticket offer. And the challenge with that is that you end up with an unmanageable business, right? You end up with so many tiers and so many stacks and you need to do all of the things that the business just gets so complicated. And in an effort to create scalability, you've actually created more complexity and that complexity is working at counter purposes to your scalability. Absolutely. And it's making it actually, in a lot of cases, more confusing for your audience. Mm-hmm. 
because where do they fit in? Where do they step in? All of these messages that you've got about working with me is up here and working with in the courses down here and is this it leads to this cloud of confusion as well and talk about stratification you know fomo right like we're using fear mm-hmm. of missing out from a marketing perspective and it's getting people to invest in stuff that maybe isn't the best choice for them and i'll never forget i think it was I, and i might have mentioned it on the podcast before but jay abraham talking about like never sell someone more than they need but also never sell someone less than they need and that for me is so important is you could sell someone a book, but if that book isn't going to do them any good, then you're doing them a disservice by saying, oh, get this book instead. You'll get what you need. If that's not true, it's like the scalability of your business is dependent on the strength of the transformation it provides. Yeah. And if you're watering down the transformation, then your scalability isn't there. There's three circles on our framework for a reason, right? Result, profits, and team. Results have to be there if you want to have scalability. Yeah. You're just moving the bottleneck. You're not actually removing it. Yeah. And I think this ties into that personal brand conversation that we had early on. Yeah. Okay. Oprah shows up to your office and gives you like a personal session, right? On whatever. That's going to be expensive, right? For most of the rest of it, you're not going to get Oprah personally. And even when you do, it's because she's built a publishing business. She's she's Mm -hmm. built a performance business, which is not the same as a coaching business or a consulting business. It's a different model with different needs. And I, I find here this is where I have a lot of conversations with our clients around value based programs and value based businesses and commodity-based businesses. Mm -hmm. And so many people are stuck in this mindset and and it's totally North American capitalism bound, started from, right, of time for money. And this idea that in order for us to be able to charge what we need to be able to scale the business, Mm -hmm. right, we have to give them, again, coming back to more access to the highest person in the company rather than a value-based model, which as you were saying, Brianne, is much more tied into this overall transformation mm-hmm. that the people experience going through the program or going through whatever, right? Like it, it's one thing to go and you say having a tiered kind of model based on sections of the transformation that they're going through. Mm-hmm. But when you're actually just taking one section and just expanding it, expanding mm-hmm. it, you're not actually making any changes. Yeah. You know, and uh, okay. I have a theory about why this happens. <laughs> I think you have a theory. <laughs> I know this is shocking. I have a theory. I think what's happened is that we are in such a culture, especially I, I can speak to the Canadian experience. I think by proxy, I can speak to the the U.S. experience. I don't know to the degree it's true elsewhere, but we live in a culture where we're in a cult of personality and Somewhere along the line, fame became equated with effectiveness, Mm -hmm. right? So the famous people are the ones who make lots of money. Therefore, they must be the best at what they do, right? You and I get into this debate frequently around hockey players because I'll tell you, oh, you know, so-and-so signed for whatever ridiculous amount and and you get on your soapbox about how no one needs to make that much money. But- oh, don't get me started on sports teams. Just don't get me started on sports teams. 
But it's like in that realm, it's like you're being paid a ridiculous amount of money in the hopes that you will be the most effective player on the team. And so it's like money, fame, effectiveness, culturally seem to have this alignment. And so then I look at like our industry and I look at, I'm not going to name names here because I don't want to get sued, but think about the OGs of the industry, the ones who have the multi-seven, multi-eight figure businesses that have been around for a decade or more. Everyone knows their names. They're really famous. And they all have these fancy business models with ascension ladders and moving pieces and and they teach it. But how effective are they really? And I think that's what we hear so often. I hear it so often, which is I took that program from big name, famous person, and I didn't get the results. And that's what happens so often is we get blinders on about how famous they are. And we think, mm-hmm. oh, they're famous. Their stuff must be really good. And the reality is that their stuff isn't that good. And they're, part of the reason is that they have these complicated value ladders with all these moving pieces. Anyway, I, I'm on a rant, but I'm curious you Jill, are, but if, it, if that's what you see too. It, it's interesting. So going back to kind of commodity-based industry for a second and the endorsements that you get from like professional athletes to Nike and the the various brand names that get essentially that pay mm-hmm. athletes and pay celebrities to use their name, to use their image, to get it out there because we are in this culture of celebrity fame and this voyeuristic, I think, tendency to follow after the, what the famous are doing mm-hmm. and buy into that because they bought into that or they create they created it and now i don't know the people all of the i don't know the insides and outsides of some of those businesses that mm-hmm. brianne was talking about but again i have to wonder how many of those things were actually created by them but not only that here's the thing they are at seven multi eight figure businesses they didn't start there no they didn't start out with this multi-layered multi-laddered tiered, complex beast of a business. That's what they evolved into. But they didn't start there. So many people try and start there. I go back and I think about one of our our early clients who had 35 different offers. And she was making less than 500 a year. Yeah, I think she was around like 300 a year or something. Three, 350, something like that. Yeah. And it was incomprehensible for her. Mm -hmm. She was running ragged trying to keep the complexity together. Yeah. And if you want to have a business where you're the rock star and you're just getting people in, you're making lots of money and you're not attached to the results, then this isn't the podcast for you. (laughs) I'll just put it that way. But I think this is what's really important is you have to know, again, what kind of business are you building? Going back to that scalable company versus lifestyle business, are you trying to build something that gives you a rock star lifestyle where it's, I don't care really what people get for results. I just want, you know, to be able to make the money. Or are you trying to build a company that actually creates the transformation? Because if you're trying to pursue the path of, company transformation results, then continuing to try to build according to this lifestyle model is going to burn you out just like it was burning Claire out. 
it was fear of burnout that led me to decide to move away from a one-to-one client coaching model and adopt a one-to-many coaching model via online courses. I'd experienced burnout once before in my working life and I began to realise I was at risk of experiencing it again if I didn't make a change in how I was working. And so this one-to-many model allows me to continue to have a meaningful impact on my clients and continue to help them with their common challenges and problems, but in a way that means I am my best self when I show up to work and I have the best energy and I have the best ability to work with those clients in, in that capacity. And so it's been a, a learning curve and it's a decision that I don't regret. It's the right one for my business and it's the right one for my mental health and for me personally. Yeah. And I want to highlight something here, right? She made a comment about partway, halfway through her statement there about how the one-to-many model allows her to continue to have a meaningful impact on her clients and help them with their common challenges. And this is something I see quite frequently with our clients when we're talking about making things more scalable is this idea that if I actually bring in a group, if I turn something that was one-on-one into group methodology or group coaching call, then it's intrinsically less valuable. Mm-hmm. And it's so not the case because so often there there are those common themes. So often these groups that end up forming, there's a level of, of dare I say it, synchronicity that happens. Mm-hmm. I see it all the time in my group coaching that I'm part of. Every coach should have a coach, just saying that right now, <laughs> right? But I see that all the time in my, my calls. And it's one of those things where it's like, I didn't even think of that question. Mm-hmm. Or that application of what my coach is telling this other person. And I start to see how I can use that exact same thing in my own life. And it just, it gives a more f- fulfilling, a more um, holistic mm-hmm. experience to have, not just one-on-one. It's less isolating. I think, too, what happens, again, is that folks think that it's about switching wholesale from all one-on-one to all group. And so I need Mm -hmm. to no longer have one-on-one engagement. I need to strip out the stuff that is not relevant to this one-on-one kind of thing, right? It's I need to change the whole thing. Just strip out all of what I had been doing one-on-one and move it into a group. And there's going to be a completely different experience. But that's not what we mean when we're talking about moving to a one-to-many type experience. Or, you know, Claire's been calling it one one to many. I would probably call it many to many because mm-hmm. it could potentially be many people on the team that are engaging with one person. It could be one person that's engaging with many, or it could be one person engaging with one. And it's all about how you set the container up to allow you to do all of those things. When I decided to start delivering coaching content via Teachery and move away from the one-to-one client model and adopt this one-to-many model, I had to really think carefully about how I was going to measure my clients' ability to achieve their goals and how to make sure they were on track to achieve the goals that they set out to achieve when they hired me. And so currently what works really well is a combination of having live office hours where people can turn up or book a slot and keep me up to date with what's going on and also 
Monday morning accountability emails. And that's been a really useful blend to still make sure that people aren't going way off track. Yeah, I guess it's just, it's a case of experimenting and figuring out what works best for your business and your clients. And that's done the trick for me. Yeah, and that's exactly it. That's like what we were just saying about the blend of the one-to-one. And it doesn't even have to be, as she was saying, like she put in office hours Mm -hmm. as the one-to-one opportunity. It doesn't even have to be that you put in direct coaching calls or whatever. And again, keeping in mind, those one-to-one opportunities still don't have to be you either. I think about how we have it structured in Academy, which is we do have one-to-one coaching calls and those coaching calls might be with Jill or they might be with another member of our team who knows our methods and in fact is better at some areas of the coaching than Jill is, right? And part of our job as providers is to be able to say who's going to be the best person to serve this client. Similarly, we have also office hours. And in office hours, if you are coming to work on something and you get stuck and you have a question, we'll go and we'll do a breakout and we'll have that conversation. And it might be a one-on-one conversation or there might be three people who are at the same place and they have the same question. And so all three people will go to the breakout together and we'll have a conversation about it. It's actually really funny. One of the more recent ones that we've had in that exact vein, it was an academy client of ours who came in, had a question. And one of our Leaders Institute folks came along and just sat in because she was going through again something similar in her business. And she just wanted to sit in it and listen to it again. It wasn't even so much that she wanted direct help or she had a specific question. She just wanted to listen to it again, just to remind herself how that could look like for herself. We've actually had to institute a rule in our office yeah. hours because we do office hours and co-working at the same time. So the idea is you come to work on your stuff with us there for real-time support. And then when you need support, we go into breakouts and we answer questions. So we've had to institute a rule that we do it in sprints. So if you come to a breakout for a Q&A sprint, you cannot go to another Q&A sprint right away. You actually have to go get work done because we have a few clients who would very happily just stay and listen to all the conversations and be in the community. It's like, no, you're here to work. Let's get some stuff done. But that's, you know, to your point, Jill, as you were saying before, so often we think that we devalue the experience by moving away from one-on-one. That one-on-one has to be our most high ticket, high price thing and that our group thing is the less expensive one. I mean, there's a reason that our clients come to those calls just to listen because they know Mm -hmm. they'll get something out of it and they'll be like, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. I hadn't even thought about that question or that way of looking at things. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And this is why I love one of the tools that we use in Academy to kind of help really identify these is the value map, but specifically the portion of the color coding. If you've listened to season one, you'll hear us talking about the color coding and the value to the client and the value to the business. And that really helps dive into where is actually the value? Is the value actually in how you're doing it or in what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what Claire said is that it it takes a little bit of experimentation to find the right balance for your business. But that experimentation process is cut dramatically when you actually stop and look at it through this lens of value to the business, value to the client. Because then you can say, and and I've seen it where people are like, oh, I've automated too much. I've put in too Mm -hmm. much leverage. And I need to actually move in the other direction and be able to take things in that way. It's really valuable to be able to recognize that it is a blend. Well, and and two, that 
your ego isn't the one that needs to be involved. The thing with value is the value to the client is about getting the results that they need. The value to the business is about maximizing the profit, right? Because the the model is the one that stretches over the two structures, profit and results. Mm. That's where a scalable model comes in our framework. So you want to maximize both of those at the same time. Neither of them have anything to do with the value that you perceive personally. Yeah. It's about what's best for the business and what's best for the clients because we know that when we get those two things aligned and working together, we can create a situation that will also be best for you because you should be supported by the business instead of being the person that holds it all up and holds all the pieces together and all of those kind of things. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, I really, you know, if, if someone's listening to this and they've been building out this complicated value ladder or they've they've been doing all the things and you've got, oh, I need to have my one-on-one coaching VIP option. I just really want to encourage you to be able to say what would happen if you just took the one-on-one stuff off of your website and you didn't worry about it. And instead you focused on providing the best possible experience and the best possible results to clients, regardless of what package they came to you in. And if that means they get some one-on-one time in your group programs, awesome. But you shouldn't have to artificially create this high-end package just to be able to quote unquote scale. And in fact, that's the fastest way to make sure you won't scale because you can't scale you. Yeah, exactly. Right. You can't replicate you. You can't clone you. Um, If you go back to some of our Facebook lives way back in the day, we've talked many times about trying to clone yourself and how that's not a good idea. Mm -hmm. But also too, you know, taking your one-on-one services off the website. I know Claire, for example, did that on her website, urbancuriosity.co.uk. Don't forget that the next levels can still happen. You just get invited to them. Yeah. When you're inside the program. Yeah. But More importantly, the other thing that you'll start to notice is that as you review case studies of your client's transformations, or even just as you're talking to your client, you can start to pinpoint exactly where your team is stepping up Mm -hmm. and being involved in that impact on the client. That it's not... It's not anymore about you having to be hands-on all the time. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be the one doing all of the things. We've talked about this in some of the myths previously this season, right? You don't have to be the one in the weeds. You don't have to be the one doing all the things. And this is one way for you to step back and make sure that beyond setting your mission, your vision, your values, and maybe some of the program design, you can actually step out and just be supported by the business. Yeah, this is such a great example of why we have the academy structured the way we do, because it's exactly what Jill said, right? It's like, first, let's get your model set for scale, right? You need to be able to enroll more clients. You need to be able to do that in a way that you can be confident that they're going to get results. And you need to do that in a way that doesn't require you to personally be there to be like fingers in all the pies doing all the things, right? That means looking at that transformation, going and looking at what are the things that actually have to happen in your core offer for someone to get results. Then being able to go and do that assessment, value to business, value to clients. How can we optimize? How can we make our operations better so that you know we can take the load off? And then we can put on the team elements and be able to say, this is what the team support needs to look like. This is how we empower the team. This is how we get them to really own the day-to-day so that you can be out of the weeds, you can be working on what you want, and you can actually scale sustainably and without the burnout. 
Exactly. And so if any of those three things aren't the case for you right now, then we would like to invite you to come have a chat with us, come talk with us. I I don't love to do a big pitch at the end of the podcast, but that is why we have the Academy. And if you listen to the bumper, it'll tell you where to go. I think it's visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. And there's a link and get all the details about how to work with us to address those things, make sure that they're set up in your business and truly be able to move beyond this myth that it's all about more access to become more scalable. And even if you don't, definitely still give those things a try for yourself and let us know how you make out. And then as always, we appreciate you being here and listening. I can't believe that we are at episode nine. There's one more after this for our end of season. Episode 10 should be coming out next week. Or if you're listening to this and binge listening, it'll be up next. (laughs) Um, But in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We are Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo, and we're coming to you from the unceded territory of the Qualcomm First Nations. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Visionary CEO Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, hosted and produced by Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. For more information about anything you've heard on the show, visit us on the web at visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. You can keep the conversation going on social media too. Just use the hashtag Visionary CEO Podcast. This has been a Podcast Taxi radio production for the Visionary CEO Academy. Hey, it's Brianne here. I just wanted to let you know that everything we're talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with clients at the Visionary CEO Academy. We've got a great program for strategists, coaches, and other online business owners that helps you scale from low or mid six figures to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, while keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more info and to get started.